I had the pleasure to visit my old friend Mike Palmer, a famous beekeeper in Vermont State, to talk about the celebration of his anniversary. He's completing 50 years in the beekeeping industry. And we talk about everything that has changed in the beekeeping industry in the last 50 years. And I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Welcome to Inside the Hive.tv podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Umberto Bon Cristian. In this podcast, we talk about the teachings of the most successful society in natural history, the honeybees. It doesn't matter if you're a beginner, an advanced beekeeper, or just curious about honeybees. Here, you'll find great conversations to educate and entertain yourself about this wonderful insect. From honeybee biology to how to make money with honeybees, you won't miss anything here. Inside the Hive.tv podcast is brought to you by our fans on Patreon. On Patreon, you can access all episodes before anybody else and exclusive content, like behind-the-scenes videos, live streams, and more. If you want to learn more about honeybees and help me to make more content about honeybees to everybody, please visit patreon.com slash inside the hive TV and join our community. Mike, thanks for having me here. It's a pleasure, it's an honor, good to see you too. So, first of all, I wanted to congratulate you. 50 years, right? 50 years. 50 years doing beekeeping Monday. So, congratulations. How'd that feel? You know? it felt great, but it was, you know, now I can write my C.C. Uh, Miller book, 50 Years Among the Bees. You know? Yeah, yeah. But um, it just, um, it, it struck me how things have changed in the last 50 years. Tell me about it. That is the biggest thing to me. Um, well, 50 years ago, the biggest threat was American fowl brood disease, and everybody's treated with teramycin. So there was really very, very uh, little fowl brood, um, as long as you burnt what you found. You know, and you didn't use used equipment out of the barns. Well, pretty much all that used equipment's come out of the barns and been burned up and whatever. So our, our incidence of American fowlbrood is very low. You know, I haven't seen any in years. I don't use antibiotics. It, and it always gets traced back to used equipment coming out of a barn somewhere. And so they, that's pretty well cleaned up. And that's a, that's a good thing. You know, we don't have to use antibiotics constantly. Uh, what else has changed? Well, first trachea mites came in, uh, acarine came in yep. and started wiping bees. I mean, uh, even up to 50%. Uh, you know, in the springtime, you, you go down the rows and there'd be so many dead bees on the ground outside the row, you know, outside the hive and no bees in the hive and full of honey. And that's what that was. Um, and then just a couple of years later, Varroa showed up. Yeah. And that, that, was e that was even worse. Well, at first it was easy. Oh, just put in Avastan and, you know, it'll kill all the mites. And, but the crazy thing is back then, you'd find, uh, you'd find a bottom board with measurable amounts of mites, I mean, almost depth of mites, on, and no deformed wing. You wouldn't see anything. And so they could have a lot of mites in a hive. And, uh, and you kill them with apisan, but it, they really didn't affect the hive much. Well, now you don't need many mites in the hive before they're, they're killing the hive, you know. And we just went through a thing with a, with a lot of hives that were, were uh, 
tested uh, for varroa load and, uh, and we didn't treat anything that was below treatment threshold because we're told, you know, don't worry about it. Oh, come on. <laughs> Most of them are dead. What's going on? Uh, Zach Lamas' talk about uh, one mite doesn't come out of a cell and, and hang out on a bee for five days. She goes from B to B to B to B to B to B, biting each one, infecting each one, so it doesn't take very many mites anymore to infect a colony. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's just getting worse all the time. There is always something new, and we need to keep evolving our management systems. And... But one, one change that I just heard, you know, we're right here with your yard, and you're right there, you know, there is a field corn. I remember in the past, you were not a, too, too much into the pesticide thing. Do you change your mind? Something has changed. Something has changed. You know, it used to be, well, I know what a pesticide kill looks like. Yeah. There's dead bees everywhere. Yeah. There's piles of dead bees on the ground, they're on the covers, they're on the road, they're everywhere. I never saw that with, with corn uh, neonic, uh, clothianidin. Or, or soybean uh, imidacloprid. I never saw that. And then they say, well, maybe it's a low, uh, a sublethal effect. And I, well, I asked people to show me what a sublethal effect is, and nobody could show me a sublethal effect. You know, I wouldn't know what a sublethal effect if it bit me on the ass. I wouldn't know what a sublethal effect is. So, but we're having a hard time keeping our bees alive. And, so then we started doing that. The, the state of Vermont actually told me, the guy running the, brief, the boss of the bee program, said they sampled pollen in beehives and they found no clothianidin. Okay. What am I supposed to believe? Yep. Of course I believe him. Yep. You know? And, uh, but now we're starting to sample pollen, trapped pollen, not trapped pollen, pollen in the beehives, mm -hmm. trapped pollen. And we've got a program now going, there's, there's at least 20 beekeepers out there with pollen traps. And, the, and they're widely scattered across the county. Some in uh, row crop agriculture, some away from row crop agriculture. And we're gonna find out just what's where, you know? So anyway, the Vermont Bee Lab did some, uh, some samples of uh, pollen, uh, trapped pollen in an apiary that's just surrounded by row crop. And, uh, and it, the amount of pollen, that, that, the pesticides that's in that, in that pollen, I mean, just, just three of the, of the big ones, uh, clothianid, the corn uh, neonicotinoid, 5.31 parts per billion. Now, I understand from the lab that parts per trillion will, will, affect, will have an effect on insects. Parts per trillion. Well, what's five, what's five parts per billion? Isn't that 5,000 parts per trillion? That's much more. That's much, much okay. more. What about uh, atrazine? Atrazine is an herbicide that they used to use. And I thought they banned it because, you know, it was, it was affecting, uh, it was getting in milk and it was affecting the, the abortion rate of the cattle. And so what, what they did is they put it on the restricted list. All that means is that you have to be a have a license to be able to apply it. Still applying it. Yep. 100 and, uh, 108 parts per billion of atrazine in the pollen. And then what about other, other um, herbicides that are being used? Um, because, you know, 
Roundup, or maybe it's something is it's losing their effectiveness. They need a more effective herbicide. They are they're using metolachlor. I don't even know what metolachlor is. You? I don't know what that is. No. Nope. I think it's an it's an herbicide. 189 parts per billion in the pollen that I'm collecting in that apiary. But they tell us that the state of Vermont said there's nothing of significance in the pollen. Just last summer they said this. So this is what we're up against. We're up against the farmers being able to use anything they want with no regard for us. You know, I couldn't do something that killed their, that, that sublethally affected their crop. Yeah. But they can, and they're supported by the state. So, you know, th this is why I've changed because it's obviously, oh, it is there in, in high amounts. Now, that, uh, that yard where they sampled the pollen uh, last summer, last to early summer, had uh, 37 hives. Uh, in the fall, they had 25 hives. This spring, there's four hives left, right in the middle of row crop agriculture. What's going on? That's the stories I was hearing about and what brought me here. I want to hear more about those stories. Yeah, but I had to see. I know, of course. I, and I completely understand. So, it's just getting more difficult all the time. Now, I've been yeah. told through, that there's studies that show that, um, that neonicotinoids are actually some, either making the viruses more virulent or the varroa more virulent. All those interactions that mm -hmm. with new pathogens, new chemicals, things that we don't know exist, those things are very reactive. Atrazine is, um, we, we just, uh, David Peck from, from Better Bee. Yep. He just told us that there was a, uh, that there's an effect of um, atrazine on, uh, on beehives, making uh, viruses more virulent. So, and they're just, uh, there's 109 parts per billion of atrazine in the pollen being fed to my young bees. Yep. I, yeah, I have problems with pesticides exactly because of that. We can't predict. It's designed to kill and it will kill. It's just a matter of time to, to find the right conditions. Right. Yeah. So anyway, we're running a, a more samples this year of, uh, as I said, 20 beekeepers, and we're going to find out just what's where. Yeah, you know? that's cool. That's good. I want to hear more about that. Yeah, it was, that was good. We, um, I went to a bee meeting, you know, our, our local uh, county bee meeting, and, uh, and I started to rant about the, poll the pollen and what's in the pollen. And, uh, and it'd be really great if you all could uh, trap pollen and we'll find out maybe what's in the county. And then everybody's going, yeah, yeah, let's do that. And then Samantha at the bee lab said, yeah, well, I can take the samples. And then, uh, but we need pollen traps. Okay. And so then I called my old friend uh, Ben Carpenter over at uh, Sundance Pollen Traps. Thank you, Ben. And he sold us pollen traps for $45 a piece. There you go. They cost, I don't know, $95, $100. I don't know how much they cost. They're a lot. Significantly more. So now we've got 20 people out there with a pollen trap, and they're going to, at specific times of the year. Yeah. We, that's... Corn planting, corn tasseling, whatever. They're going to sample, close the trap, sample the pollen. We'll get what's going on at that time of year. Got the job done. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. All right, Mike, show me around here. What sure. we have here. So this is, uh, this is my cell building yard. Okay. My office, if you will. In your office. Okay. Right. 
We are and so all these hives over here are cell, future cell builders. Uh, we had a big loss again this year. Oh my gosh, it's, this year was the worst. So I brought in strong hives from other yards so I'd have strong hives to work with. And um, what are you supposed to be doing today? But you so know, today is uh, to set up um, to set up cell builders. Okay. So <clears throat> I run on the brother Adam plan of uh, of his cell building. I like his method. And so, ten days before a graft, um, you pick a strong colony. You know, eight, ten frames of brood. Um, make sure the uh, it's it's queen right with a good queen. Doesn't have any queen cells in it. And above an excluder, you add a box of emerging brood. So in a box, it would be the two outside combs would be honey. And then seven frames of emerging brood. It's important emerging brood because you're trying to grow nurse bees. Sure. You know, and purple eye bees aren't going to be nurse bees sure. for a couple, yeah. weeks. Yeah, weeks. But this way, when they're coming out and we're waiting 10 days, until we graft from the time we set up the cell builder until the time the day we graft is 10 days. So a lot of that is hatched, have emerged, and they're like they're 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 right on it. They're right on that that critical that 10 day, 12 day. Um, and so they're so you're growing nurse bees. And we can do this a number of times. So it's just not one round and one and done. You know, we I can do another round of this every 20 days to the same hive. So by the time you do two or three rounds, oh my gosh. There's so many nurse bees in those hives. It, yeah. it's so, so that would be set up. Um, you can see over here, we've got one set up already. So we put a partially full super with no brood or queen or anything on top of the queen excluder. And then we put the setup up here. Mm -hmm. And then on um, a grafting day, we'll take it off turn the hive around and put it on the ground facing the other way. The other way. Put a new bottom board down, put the super on it, you know, we're, and we're checking for queen cells all the time. You know, sometimes the queen will get up there or there were some eggs you didn't see mm -hmm. 10 days ago. Yeah. If you leave them in there, you need to all, be careful. all bets are off. And then this is the box with the two frames of honey and the seven frames of emerging. And so, they, so on grafting day, that'll be rearranged and the, gra and the, uh, and this becomes the cell builder. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Now the brood that goes in here, it comes from these over here. Now these are called, I call it brood factories. You did a, a presentation on brood factories. We yes, did. we did. So those are the brood factories. So the bottom box, well, the very bottom box is nothing but an empty box. It's a high stand way down there on the ground. Yep. But then you can see the, the white box that says P122. That's the queen that's in there. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that's the first box. That's a divided double, a divided uh, uh, 10 frame. 10 box. frame box. So you have two sides. Two sides. The one on the right, right. has the entrance uh, right there. Yep. The one on the left has an entrance around the back side. So if you face it, it's always on the right, the correct side, <laughs> the yep, right yep, side. The right side. Okay. So <laughs> these get up to, I try to winter them in three. Um, some of them, I, if they're light down below and they had a super of honey on top, leave it. You know, I, I, it's not worth taking it off and then feeding. So this one probably wintered in four, in four high. So there's four combs in each box. You can see that they're, they've done very well. 
I mean, look at the, the residue from the pollen on their feet, yep. you know? So that's probably a pretty good one. And so we'll start at the beginning when we have to make up a cell builder and we're pulling frames of emerging. It depends on how strong the, the colony is, how many we pull out. If it's just an average colony and they can just give us one of emerging, that's fine. If they're getting stronger, we might want to take two. If you start to see cups with eggs, queen cups with eggs, or maybe a little jelly, uh-oh, you better take more. More. And so really knock them back. And, and we, when we take, so if we were to take two frames of emerging out of here, we'd make a space right here for two frames. And we put the empty comb from storage back right there. Now this divide, this is the divider where it goes right down through, right? Yep. That's a divider, but these, these form a divider. They meet over that divider. And so they can't cross. They can't cross, okay. These two combs and these two combs are right down through here. That's the center of their yes, rudeness. Okay. It's not here. Yeah, is it close to it's the, here the border? Because they're together, they make, make a cluster. Yeah. So we put those combs back in here and that right away prompts the queen to lay in there because that's the center of her brood nest. If you put them up here, what are they going to do? If there's a flow, they're going to put nectar in it. No, we want brood. brood. We want to encourage her that, wow, I've got all this room. It is. We had one the other day up front that had a huge beard on it. And we haven't even taken out, we haven't taken brood out of all these yet, just one day. Today was supposed to be the second day. Mm -hmm. It's too cold. Yeah. It's 40 degrees. Vermont. Vermont. Vermont yeah. style. Don't you love it? <laughs> so we took four out of that one because it had queen cells and it had a beard and they were going to be gone next time we come around. So, so those are the brood factories. So we start at the beginning and we work down the row and then you get to where you left off. We left off over here somewhere. And if we haven't done them yet, the bricks are all like that. Okay. And once we get it done, put the brick down. That one's done. done. Move to the next one until you have enough for the day. That's then the you system. stop and four days later we come, back we come back and start where we stop and go around until we have enough for that day. Then stop. And that's the way you don't need and to. That's the way we, that's right. To buy queens. Uh, well, <laughs> that's why I, yeah, that's why I don't have to use production hives to stock my cell builders. Yeah. You know, so if you start doing that with, with production hives and they become your uh, nurse bee donors, yes, you can, you can dump them back in front of the hive they came from in, in, a, few, in a few days. Okay, but um, I still think that affects your production hives. So I like this. These are just, they're dedicated brood factories. They're not meant to make honey. They're meant to make brood. Brood. Fast as they can. And in this, this vertical configuration, there's something about it that, and I guess it's because of heat rising. Yeah, the heat rising, just like- So in a 10 frame production hive, if you're using that to expand the brood nest, remember they have to expand horizontally. And in order to expand horizontally, they have to have two things. They gotta have more population and they have to have time to clean and polish and, and warm those combs. They don't need, they don't need to expand. They're, they're, the heat rises, they come out of the, and they just crank out frames of brood so fast, it's hard to keep up with them, which is the point. That's the point. Yeah. Very good, Mike. And then, so then down here are the breeder hives. And these are the ones that we're gonna graft from. 
So, you see they're single story. Yes. Um, there's a queen in here and her nuke. Uh, this one is, uh, this is one of the breeder program queens. So she came from uh, nuke number 95, which is in the program. Her, uh, her breeder, her mother was, was P3 and she was raised in 22. And when we transferred them from their, their wintering nuke configuration into a 10 frame, they had eight frames of brood already on, uh, on 515, which, you know, Got it. if you're in New Jersey or Washington or, I mean, Virginia or, that's nothing yet. But look at yeah, what we got to work with. Yep. So, so this is the breeder hive. So you have, a, uh, you have an, excluded, uh, an excluded part. There's the excluder. It's a, hard, it's a vertical excluder. It's rabbited into the front and the back wall. Um, it goes all the way to the bottom board. Mm -hmm. uh, the bag sits on it and the cover, the lid sits on, pushes it down. So the, the, the queen can't cross over. Got, got it. And there's a cleat in front of the entrance over here so she can't leave. She can't leave. And she can't go around. She can't go under, so she's stuck there. This is the rest of her nuke. So when I put them in here, you know, I, uh, I, uh, I set up a nice little nuke here with maybe four or five frames of brood. So it's brood all the way out here. I just did this on uh, Monday. Um, and so we keep her on this side. I keep her on this side of the, of the excluder. And then by, by rotating combs out and, out and a breeder uh, grafting comb in, I can really control the age of the larvae that are in the, my grafting comb. Now I know there's other ways. There's the, uh, the cage. One comb cage and the, the queen goes in the cage with the one comb for one day and you take it out and put another one in. Seems like an awful lot of manipulation to me. A lot of work. And if you miss once. Anyway, so I do this every four days. Uh, and it's and it's figures out that I do it five days before grafting Well, I thought you could do it on day four and put a comb in the graft in it for grafting Four days before and there be a young larvae because because they emerge on day three Doesn't work that way because the the bees have to warm the comb Polish the comb get it ready for the queen to lay in So she so you put it in five days before grafting now, in the center might be some that are a little old, but all around here are beautiful from eggs to young larvae, puddles of jelly, and that's... So what the, 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 um, the rotation is, I don't want them to come out, it'd be dead, <laughs> it's so cold out here. Yeah. The rotation is, um, so five days before grafting, I'll pull this comb out. This is their feed comb. You have to maintain a feed comb in there all the time. You pull this one out, it's usually just nectar and pollen because the brood has already hatched out of it, emerged from it. And then you move these, these uh, four remaining combs over against the feed comb, mm -hmm. creating a space here. For, okay, got it. 
This, this is the oldest, call, oldest brood in her section. And so you take it off, make sure she's not there. And you want to do this before it starts to emerge. Because if you have emerging brood anywhere in here, she's going to lay there before she lays on your mm -hmm. grafting comb. Because mm -hmm. she loves emerging brood. That's where she goes. So you take that out and you put it in this space. No, no queen. Then you move these two over. And then you put your empty comb, your grafting comb here. Now, this is the one I put in there four days ago. So tomorrow is grafting day. This is the comb I pull and I graft from it. And then you put it back in again. And then again, uh, three days later or whatever it is, I'll repeat the process. So I've always got a comb here that they're cleaning and warming and polishing and getting ready for her. So when on grafting day, that, th this is where my graft, graft is gonna come from. And I know every, and every once in a while there's a delay. Timing is everything. That's right. And, and so they didn't jump on it as fast as I wish they had. And I get only eggs. I can't graft eggs. Yep. But that's why I have six here. And I only have four cell builders every four days. So out of the six, I'll get at least four, four, you know. I always have material to work. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's like, you know. We only need 12 supers today. Well, why don't you bring 14? You know, it's the same thing. Bring extra. Yeah. Figure on extra. Yeah. So those are the breeder hives. Very nice, Mike. Thank you. Thank you very much for the, the lessons. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what else is going on in Vermont? Beekeepings. Boy, right now that's about it. Yeah, oh, it's, it's too cool. No time for anything else, though. Yeah. Gardening, trying to get my garden in. Okay. I think uh, Saturday will be a partial garden day. Somebody wants to come from Virginia and have a visit, and you know that kind of stuff. Yeah. But it's all right. I don't mind that. That's a nice place. I like this apiary. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. We could we could do something about that uh, corn over there, but was that not always there? That's been there for years and years and years. Same field, same stuff, and the corn gets shorter every year. So it's just what they're putting in there now. Yeah, well, they just keep using it for corn. They don't ever put anything on. No rotation. You know, over here was uh, always alfalfa and hay uh, uh, hay crop. And a few years ago, they decided to uh, plow it up and plant corn. And because they plowed sod, because there's so much humus in the soil and all that, it's so good. The corn was that high. Nice. And you come over here where it's corn every year, every year for 20 years, and the corn is this high. Huh. And you can see it plain as day. I'm not a, I'm not a corn farmer. I'm not. I was brought up in on Long Island. You know. I mean, I, I, but I know what crop rotation is. Yeah. We learned that in school. You know. I mean. Middle school or elementary school. Right. So it's just I don't know. It's so discouraging right now. Yeah. Well, I think once we have our. Uh, our survey done and all these different people from across the county are gathering uh, pollen, trapping pollen, and 
I think we're going to see something uh, real amazing. Yeah. That's Whether it's going to do us any good. Maybe stayed. not at first, but eventually maybe. Agriculture in Vermont is dairy and maple. Period. Nothing else seems to matter. Oh, now they're growing cannabis. Seems like they're giving more help to the cannabis growers than they are to any beekeepers. You know, dairy farmers are getting tens of millions of dollars all the time. The organic dairy farmers just got $4 million to help them with their businesses. Okay, you know, the, the maple producers, they get all this money to help them with their, with their business, with their marketing, with their, what do we get? Yeah, does the organic help at all with the bee side of things? I don't know, I mean, they're few and far between. So, I mean, there's always some field in nearby the bees. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah, I'm, I don't know, it's very getting discouraging. And, at 74, I've been doing it 50 years, and I could I could see just stopping. I could, I could see it. I don't want to stop. I, I love it too much, you know. We're running this breeding program. I want to finish the breeding program, but I'm going to lose 50 or 60 percent of my bees every year and have to restock it all the time every year. Yeah. Damn. Breaks your heart, right? I'm trying. I'm trying. Well, thanks for your effort. Yeah. Trying to keep motivated. Yeah. You're an inspiration for many people. Yeah, I know. And, and I really, you know, I really appreciate that. You know, I go to a bee meeting, for instance, EAS mm -hmm. last summer mm -hmm. in Ithaca. You know, I can't walk from this side of the room to that side of the room without four people stopping me. And they yeah. go, wow, I just can't believe your video. It's helped me so much. That's my reward no. right there. That, that, yeah. And, you know, as I said in my talk, I don't want money. I, I want, I want, when I leave, I want our industry, our, our community to be better than I found it. And I think it has been. I think I've done something at least. Oh, yeah. To change that. So, so many places I visit, not in U.S., but in South America, in, in, in Middle East, and everybody knows you. I know that. That's I, cool, I, I, right? That, that really blew me away. I, was, I cool. had no clue. I just work every day. Yeah. I don't pay attention. Yeah. And then people said, you better start paying attention. <laughs> and I just went, whoa, El Metodo? <laughs> El Metodo, I mean, come on, the method. Really, the method. Yeah. This, that's so cool. It's cool. So I'm hoping at Chile um, this year, I'm, I'm gonna try one more time to see if I can, can't give a talk. I think it would be really good for the, uh, for the beekeepers that all know me. Yeah. To give me a, to let them, let me give them a talk about vertical. Yeah. yeah, and they want to hear. I, I receive a lot of requests from my channel, from South America followers of me. When are you going to visit Mike? When are yeah. you going to visit oh, Mike? Really? Yeah, I believe it. Don't forget to put uh, the subtitles in Spanish. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. okay, I'll do it. I'll... Hey, I have Inside the Hive.TV podcast is brought to you by our fans on Patreon. On Patreon, you can access all episodes before anybody else and exclusive content like behind-the-scenes videos, live streams, and more. If you want to learn more about honeybees and help me to make more content about honeybees to everybody, please visit patreon.com slash insidethehivetv and join our community.